Welcome to the Stories Are Soul Food podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road. You know, I think I saw one of the worst movie trailers I've ever seen. We should start right now. Bless it. Yeah. It. <laughs> Put Sasp. someone on blast Sasp. right now. <laughs> Sasp. This is Sasp episode 120 something. Um, yeah, I went and saw Equalizer 3. Wait, you went and watched it or watched the trailer? I watched Equalizer 3, the film. Oh, okay. And very operatic and moody and yeah. kind of lost all the playfulness that made the earlier ones fun. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't even think I've seen Equalizer parts un et du. <laughs> okay. So I was at the theater watching Equalizer 3, um, thereby proving that I'm not pretentious. Um, but I watched two really bad trailers in there. And one of them is a, I don't even remember what it was called, but John Cena and the actress who played Annie in Community <laughs> from the director of Taken. Oh, that's an all-star cast. And it's like, you know, Taken was actually a well-directed film. You know, it it's kind of. It is what it, it's, yeah. it's very direct. Yeah, no, I did is. see that one. But this one was, you know, when it's really insulting, when it's like sucking a lemon, the entire trailer. And then you get towards the end, they pop the lemon out of your mouth and squirt it in your eyeball. <laughs> it was that, it was that kind of, and it was so ineffective in that it was last night and I don't remember the name of the movie. <laughs> So I'm trying to find it for us right now. <laughs> it was such, such a horrific, horrific trailer. Freelance? Yes. Is it that was, it? Yeah, it was freelance. It was the worst trailer I've seen in a very, very long time. Uh, the best trailers I've seen recently are for Killers of the Flower Moon and yeah, no kidding. Cabrini. I saw both so of Cabrini, those. Yeah. <laughs> Like both of those, the tra the trailer craft in Killers of the Flower Moon is phenomenal. Just the wow, yeah. seeing the seeing the trailer as a, its own art piece, you know, mm -hmm. its own you know artifact to be constructed, is one of the best I've seen in a long, long time. And then Cabrini is more a showpiece, like a true trailer, a showpiece of just the level of cinematic excellence that's you know jammed into this film. So I'll I'll get to check out a screening of Cabrini soon, and I'm I'm really actually very excited to watch it just on a cinematic level. Yeah, well, I was gonna say C A B R I N I. So check it out. Check out the trailer. Yeah, I was I was gonna say both those trailers because I saw them also watching Sound of Freedom. Those are yeah. popped on the front of Sound right. of Freedom. And uh, I didn't see the Cabrini. Did I see the Cabrini trailer there? I don't know. When did you see Sound of Freedom? Last week. Here in Moscow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, the Cabrini trailer I don't think was on the one that that we saw, but it's when you're getting when you're watching a trailer and you're uh, seldom do you think, oh, please tell me what movie this is. Yeah, and for, for both of those, mentally, I, have, I need to remember this. Yeah. I need to hang on to this. This is yeah. really good. I've now watched Killers of the Flower Moon the trailer a number of times because it's just a thing to learn from, uh, and cinematically also really striking. But the the pace changes and and everything else, well, the, humor the, and and so on. But Cabrini is just the mix of modern versus old. I don't know. That, those yeah. are some fun themes that they're yep. able to play with in two minutes that don't feel painful. Yep. yep. I am convinced. What is so particularly bad about the John Cena movie? I don't know. We should move on from the poor. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, it just one of the, maybe it's just you can't get away from it. Literally every it. single thing about it was terrible. I also forgot the name already after having freelance freelance. Yeah, it was a man. I hope it doesn't make any money. I hope it doesn't make any money so hard because when things like that make money, we get more of them. Yeah. So there we go. I'm lending my small might in a podcast to please don't, please see don't freelance. watch freelance. <laughs> please don't watch freelance because I don't ever want to sit through a trailer like that again. Um, so here's a question. It actually, I, I was shocked that it was not like a Netflix movie of the week. It was just 
it struck me as like, man, this is the kind of terrible movie that just would pop up on Netflix and you'd never heard about it. Yeah. And they'd overspent. They spent a ton of money and you know. I know. The the conspiracy theorist in me is John Senna's been so pro the Is it Senna pe- or Cena? Cena? I don't I don't I don't know. See, that's how that's how much we care. I don't even watch WWE, so I don't know. You don't have to. Yeah. You can't see me. <laughs> uh Dusty Rhodes, though, I think we're all a fan of the woo. So uh, <laughs> and I don't watch it. Yeah. Uh anyways, he's a bit such a big fan of the People's Republic of China that I'm not surprised that he can find insane amounts of money just lying around to make movies. <laughs> to make movies. That he stars in. <laughs> That's my, okay. that's my. Okay. Throwing a little, throwing a little shade. Yep. I just. Think- yeah, it was terrible. And it was the kind of, Boss Rutten once told me there's a Dutch word for uh, when you, something really terrible happens to you, you need to share it. And you see this behavior in humans when you taste something awful and you're like, oh, this is terrible. Here, taste it. <laughs> or there's some horrible thing, some horrible story or some horrible news. You immediately need to share it. Mm-hmm. And he said, the the word basically unpacks to, it's like lighter when shared. You know, it's not as, oh. you know, it's not as heavy. I learned this because he was telling me a really terrible story, just a bad story. And I was like, boss, like, stop. <laughs> like, why are you telling me this? Stop. And he used the word and told me, it's like, it's lighter. It's like, it's in my head and I need to make it lighter by sharing <laughs> it with you. I was like, no, don't do it. <laughs> but that is exactly what I'm doing with freelance. I want all of you to go watch the trailer. <laughs> and then not watch the movie. I want you yeah. to watch the trailer and and just suffer with me. So I'm not suffering alone, that we've all suffered together watching that trailer. And then never see the film. Never, ever, ever see that film. And then go watch the other two. Feel free to watch Equalizer 3. That's fine. Uh, it I, was. It I have was, seen the key art. Once I Googled it, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe I have seen that. It's one of those yeah. movies that disappears into. It just got really, I think John Wick, the John Wick franchise did this too. There's a tendency to get super serious and to try to transition from camp, you know, some something right. that's kind of like campy commercial into something that's really cinematic and lofty and is your calling card for your next jobs. Like mm-hmm. you're closing off a franchise and you want to go make. You yeah, know, something cool, something, something else. And you're like, how about we go full on mood and we have the personality of our main character change between episodes. And then we also uh, shoot this thing like an opera, but just slow, slow building with no payoff. <laughs> Ooh. A recipe Let's do that. for success. Yeah. Uh, so it makes me want to go to Italy. But other than that, oh, nice. it didn't really accomplish much. When you're looking at Killers of the Flower Moon or Cabrini, yeah, um, how how do how do you think? Just look into your crystal ball. How do you think those are going to do? How do you evaluate how those are going to do, or does it depend? Killers of the Flower Moon is going to do very well. Um, Cabrini, I hope it does well. I've I've heard from people who've been at screenings, and obviously the directors Alejandro. Monteverde and the director of Sound of Freedom and I've talked to him, I've spoken with him about the project artistically and with his producer, Leo uh, Severino who is, they're both great guys, they're really good, they're talented Uh, Cabrini is so aggressively aspirational Yeah, you know it really is about the art and the story and you know commercial consequences be damned you know it's sort of yeah. a so first woman to lead a mission in the new world yeah but it, it's the, it's this entrepreneurial outsider yeah. battles insiders you know in new york in the late 19th century and the character work and the the production design and the cinematography just look absurdly good yeah like just pushed to a really high and unreasonable level yeah and i'm really excited to see it now does that mean the whole film will succeed well a little thing that that um i I have to i should give credit to john Irwin. he's the one who first told me this um that there's in in any kind of testing when you're taking a movie out there are two sensations per film that viewers will remember hmm so they're watching a movie, there's going to be two emotional moments, two big sensations that they're going to hang on to and remember, and they are going to leave with them. 
beyond that, there's nothing. So the rest they don't remember. You can't. Yeah. You get two. And like that's when they leave and what sticks, what retains, the way the only way to have the movie really stick with them is to make sure you nail those two, you know, big moments, those big, those big sensations. And one of them has to be the big finale, the payoff at the end. So if you do that, then you know, it sticks with the audience. They're more likely to talk about it. They're more likely to tell people they should go. You have a, a chance at having this organic grassroots zeitgeisty thing. No, I can't really falsify or verify what he said there, but it resonates. So you might get more than two. You might get less than two. It might just be one. Yeah. Um, but it does, it does sort of ring true. It, it rings true for me. And I, be- I believe him that that's actually something that really matters a lot when you're gauging the success of the film of a film. So with Cabrini and um, sound of freedom, I know uh, Cabrini is going to be released through angel and I know that it will run through their guild. And so we'll have this. You probably already have run it through this guild testing. And it really depends. Like, is it too into itself? Like there's a, there's a reason why director's cuts of movies are almost always worse. And Just because you're saying it's because they kind of are indulging what they like. Yeah, and, indul- and indulging is a strong word. So let's say that you are focusing on the relationship between the creator and the creature, the relationship between the artist and the artifact, more than you are focusing on the relationship between the artifact and the audience. Mm. And so there are directors, and I was, uh, I've had this conversation with people involved uh, in those movies, but it's there are, there are directors like Spielberg where it is occasionally about his relationship to the art, but overwhelmingly about the arts relationship to the audience. Yeah. And then there are people like Wes Anderson and Christopher Nolan, who it is about their relationship to the art. And you can like arrive with humility and receive it. Yeah, I think we're going to have to dig into this. I was planning something else, but I feel like we should just dig into that <laughs> statement right now. So, because that makes sense. You know, there's it's the creator and the creature, and then you get to come in and watch, but you are absolutely replaceable and irrelevant to the gratification of this particular artist's work. This is not to say that it's necessarily bad. Okay. For an artist to be focused on their relationship, their craftsmanship, and just their own rubric and their craftsmanship in the art and ignoring the audience completely is as long as they're not ignoring uh, the divine audience. So if you are fully in and you are trying to perform to your highest and best use, to your fullest potential as you create, and you're doing that to honor God and you're trying to glorify God and whatever these people say, I don't care. However they respond, they can like it or not. They can come and look or they can leave. And then you can really just say, um, you know, we'll see what the results are. That, that can be completely fine. That's not a, it's not a terrible way to be as long as there is an audience and that ultimately the divine audience is always the audience that matters the most. But for directors like Spielberg, it's the audience first and it's that relationship between what's the what's the artifact going to do to the audience now they're going to receive it and what's you know what's compelling about it to them mm-hmm. and there's a reason why he's been so successful do you think spielberg knows he's doing that yeah so he's intentionally he doesn't care so much how the piece of art i guess he's not thinking about it as a piece of art he's I, not the auteur no i think approach. no i think he i think he's thinking of it as a piece of art but he's thinking of it as a piece of art for millions of people Mm. you know it's it's for them and there's a humility to that because if he was just into his own artistry and trying to like yeah break boundaries of his own artistry, ridley scott's this way too ridley scott's about the you know about the story to the consumer yeah Yeah. and honestly he's about his own mortality and getting as many things done as he possibly can and maximum efficiency and trusting and delegating it doesn't always work Mm. but he just goes and goes and goes and goes so he like leaves napoleon before it's done and he's already working on the next project you know it's like it's just 
he's just going. He feels like he doesn't have that much time on the earth. <laughs> he's going to tell as many stories. He's not wrong. No, he's not wrong. <laughs> okay. Um, so, but you're saying, okay, I think I'm getting, so you you take a big Nolan hit like Inception or Tenet yeah. or something like that. You'd say that Nolan is so obsessed with the conceit of the film that the whole movie experience becomes about Inception. Are we in? Is it, are we in the real part, or are we constantly being incepted? Is that is that kind of what you're saying? And then Tenet, similarly, we're so interested in this idea of working backwards through time that then, even though we don't understand how that works, and it did feel like at times you couldn't hear the dialogue and you no, didn't know what was going on. Of course, you couldn't. It was all about seeing him run backwards. That was it. Yeah. So you're you're just saying he, Nolan doesn't care about me not being able to track the movie, and that's something that somebody like Spielberg or Ridley Scott would would be foreign to their approach to filmmaking. Is that kind of the? Yeah. Okay. And I think Scott would care a little bit less, and Spielberg would care the most. And Nolan might care the least, and it might it might actually be Wes Anderson who cares the least. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um. But it's. There's, no, there's nothing wrong with an artist amusing themselves. Yeah. You know, which, and, Wes, which is why I tend to give Wes Anderson, you know, the occasional pass. I totally do. Right. Because it, there's, a, there's a little bit of humility to it. And sometimes. When he makes Fantastic Mr. Fox, you're like, okay, that was kind of funny. <laughs> when he makes Isle of Dogs, you're like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You wanted to make a dog movie, which I understand, but you didn't. <laughs> you made something a weird puppet. You made movie. So, you made something else. Um, <laughs> so this is no. I'm I'm fully aware. I don't know Christopher Nolan. I've never had conversations with Christopher Nolan. This is only by reputation. This is just the way he projects himself and the way I think his his work functions. He does not give a rip if you get it. Mm, okay. Uh. Does that fit with his Batman franchise? You're you, but do you think a little a little bit less so? Because it did but, feel yeah. like he was like I'm touching something that is so mass appeal. Yeah, that I kind of just need yep. everybody to be very afraid for the entire movie. And and actually, I think that the Batman franchise bought him so much loyalty from so many Nolan Bros that will just love Tenet or whatever he does because they have he's bought all this crowd loyalty uh, yeah. with those films. But he's obviously very talented. Uh, he's, a, he's a very, very talented guy. However, I think that he is the kind of, well, let's, let's back up. I've, I've had to be at a lot of workshops with a lot of writers. You're an editor. Mm -hmm. If I say to you, and you're a writer of a script or a, a novel, and I say, so he, this chapter is not working. Here's the thing. You know, I, I start to... Uh, push and they immediately say well you don't understand you don't understand what i was trying to do here's what i'm trying to do you don't get it like that's not a defense the fact that i don't get it is the fault of the writer like the ownership the responsibility belongs there and with nolan you're assuming a, that you're an educated reader who it's can... a whole bunch of you don't get it to the audience and that's your fault okay yeah it's like this is you know, it doesn't matter. This is not for you. You can access it or not yeah. if you have that ability. And it creates this inner circle sensation. And so some people love to be in it and they they understand and they get it. And other people are just like, I don't get those. Those are long. Yeah, that's and, true. Because I've read a bunch of think pieces about how the music intended is also running backwards, right? You know, so right. he's got like all these little things where the soundtrack has been reversed and- yep. You know, he's basically, and their argument is an aesthetic one that down to the core, Tenet is backwards, right? And then the question is, should it be? <laughs> I mean, it is one if of those I things. If I watch it backwards, will it be good? Yeah. Like, can I reverse it and enjoy it this time? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's. I, it's, I mean, when you're totally right that when you watch Tenet, you kind of enjoy the entry into the magic world, yep. the few sh first shots as they're shooting a gun backwards or whatever. Yeah, and the and the cars driving backwards. And, yeah, that's all really fun stuff. But I think you finish and like I don't know if that works, and I don't. I think I think before the finish, you're sitting there thinking, I know this doesn't work. Yeah, <laughs> this doesn't this doesn't work. And we're just but all, anytime anytime a writer says you don't understand what I was trying to get at. You, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. In response to a criticism or a note, 
you're showing which type of creator you're going to be. Yeah, that's true. And it's more, that's more dangerous. That is a more dangerous kind of Because I've creator. had those conversations where they say, it, I know you're not going to get, or basically I don't mind that this person didn't get what I was trying to put into it. Right. Because I put what I wanted to be in there. Yeah. And, and that, and I mean, if we're talking pretentious, I think that's probably the one. You yep. better be right, I guess, is the question. Yep. Because if you do talk to somebody who has put everything in there and it is a work of art and you, and people do miss it, then I suppose you can say that. So there's right? versions for, it, it's weird because there's weird catechisms for artists and storytellers that have showed up just by, by momentum in our culture. So, and, it, and you can step into cliches. So when I had notes from the Tilted World Publishing, uh, Thomas Nelson came back and they said, Lifeway wants to do a big, you know, buy and support of this book, but they need you to go back and change the language. You know, we've got some language we have to change, or they're just not going to order and they're not going to promote and they're not going to do it. And I said that I said what I said. Okay. Like I, that's, that's my book. I wrote it and yeah. if they don't want it, that's okay. Like it's, it's all right. But I just, it, it was more that I didn't want to set the precedent of allowing another editor into the, hmm. into the room. So do you, do you would, think I, would I have been okay writing some things slightly differently so that the, the Lifeway chain could have pushed the book? Yeah, I could have. But just, it was like, I didn't want to re, I didn't want to pierce the seal where I've already done multiple drafts. I've already worked with editors. I've already got a publisher. They've already signed off. We're already good. And then we get to market. And then somebody says, hey, I want to come all the way back and reopen this. In that situation, your book is never done. It's never done. Hmm. You know, and so just saying, I baked it. I'm not going like, to, I'm not going to unbake it. I said, you could, if you want to, you can print a version with little like redacted black squares on, on stuff. That would be fine with me. Um, <laughs> it's just a censored version yeah, of your book. It's like, but then I want an admission that this is a censored version of the book. I'm not. Hmm. You know, you're not getting, I'm not going to pretend like this is the same book that's, that's hmm. over there. Um, but you're not saying that was something that would have been wrong for you to do. That one's a strategy. I think it would have been, I think it would have been dumb for me to do, but I also, it's an, that's an example of stepping into a cliche. I knew I was being the cliche author in that moment. I was being the cliche creator. Being yeah. Like, no, no this, I won't touch it. This it's is done. my, this yeah. is my creation. Yeah. And so I was aware of that, but I also knew if I let this camel's nose under the tent and I let Christian book store chains start dictating like, yeah. if they if they become aware of the fact that they can change my content they have the authority to dictate the content mm. then that's a big problem i don't want to have you know i just didn't want to okay. go down that road you don't want to be bought is functionally what you're saying yeah and but there's a, but there's a cliche there you know of the right. artist who will not yeah. allow his thing to be touched uh i incidentally in the first drafts it was loaded with language um loaded is an overstatement but there's there's a bunch of language <laughs> it was in there. zested yeah it was zested i want to say let's say there were like 17 things in there uh across the entire book because i wanted to yeah and i knew the editors were going to come back and be like we can't <laughs> and i gave and gave <laughs> i've and been gave. that editor before yeah. like uh, and I, um i need you yeah. to just do this I, I gave and gave and gave because i i wanted to hang on to this one description of atheism and you know, just, I had these things I wanted and I got, and then Lifeway was like, hold on. <laughs> and got, I know, and at the same time, you're, you're a publisher, yeah. um, having an author say no to a massive order. It hurts. Uh, it yeah. stings, right? You yeah. Gotta, it's you, like, that's, I'd, I would just want to know that you had a good reason for it, which I think. Because I will not be moved. <laughs> <laughs> that one doesn't always sell. Yeah, it's like, so. <laughs> ah, it doesn't resonate. So <laughs> the thing is. This is why uh, writer directors directors fight for final cut. Yeah, you know it's like in the in the film business that doesn't exist with authors. Authors own like authors have it with mm -hmm. their novels. So I've had Random House come back and want me to change stuff. I've had uh, Harper Collins want me to pay protection money uh, to sensitivity readers. I've had all these things happen, and I've I've always just said no. You yeah. know, it's like that's I'm not going to do that. Once we get through the editorial process, once we're through the editorial process and I've written the book and we're done and we're moving, 
I'm not going to go back and I'll correct mistakes. You know, I've gotten, um, my dearly departed grandfather hilariously, uh, read my draft of death by living and told me it's great. And then I published it and he read it again. I was like, why are there so many mistakes in here? I was like, what? It's like, just, there's like historical corrections. You know, there were just like things. You I was like, like, this is like, this is why I had you read. Like <laughs> yeah. It's like, I had you read this earlier. So going back and correcting that stuff, like, yeah, you go, you go correct. Yeah. Uh, you go correct factual errors, thing, things like that. They were, they were all pretty small, but it's, um, that one, I actually, they're all correct in the audiobook on Canon plus I corrected them all. Subscribe now. Yeah, subscribe. Subscribe immediately for the correct version. <laughs> Canapress.com <laughs> slash app. <laughs> yes. Um, um, so it, anyway. The, I remember having conversations with a friend where I, I was going back and forth with him where he was working on this uh, historical short or basically short sketches of unknown scientists, etc. But he was yeah. telling them autobiographically and somewhat fictionally. And I was trying to argue with him of like, this is not a genre that exists. Um this this fictionalized autobiography to tell the history of people like like historical figures and he was his point was just i can do what i want this is a project and and i said yeah that's true you can you can and if it's really good maybe it will exist afterwards right. i mean notes from the tilt world didn't really exist yeah like the there wasn't a big well, well how would you describe that a, a memoir mixed with philosophy, philosophy. religion creative nonfiction yeah you know it's mixed with a manifesto of faith you know it's like it's it's uh yeah you know but but fairly impressionistic and yeah it was now there are a number of them there have been a it's kind of spawned a little bit of a of a market um and it's not to say there was no creative memoirs there were there are things like blue like jazz and and other things yeah there's been creative nonfiction memoirs but they're like either portraiture or still life yeah you know as opposed to let's talk about theology and philosophy and big bigger issues that would normally be addressed in abstract and more analytical ways um and that was that was kind of new paired with the the memoir driven stuff so i think i push a little bit though yeah do because i have a feeling you say you didn't get that though faster to an audience like i think we say that pretty regularly on the podcast like you're missing something yeah not and i would think especially for your philosophical works like notes from the tilt and death by living i do often say hey proofs in the pudding you need to read this or about people who say oh i didn't get it or i got lost in this section a lot of times i'll say you need to push through because this is a full yeah it's a full well I, i think i'm i'm more of a um I think the only thing that I've said you don't get it about mm-hmm. is when people say it's stream of consciousness. Oh, death and tilt, those two. Yeah. Okay. The, the stream, of, stream of consciousness. And I'm like, it's actually not. You know, this was hmm. a map. I planned it. This was drawn out. And then I then I followed the structure in this outline. Yeah. It's revolutions, it's rotations, the tilt world, the solar system, it's small things spinning, large mm-hmm. things spinning, the whole thing turning. It's not chaos and it's not stream of consciousness. Now, that's only when they're saying, uh, they're making an assertion about the way in which I wrote it, that my technique to writing it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I, but I didn't. That's not, you know, it was, it was planned. So that's them yeah. saying, this is okay. an unplanned stream of consciousness book. It's like, it's, it's no. Gotcha. You know, it follows the seasons. It's got this whole structure to it. It's imitating this particular fair ride that's in the title, which is also an invitation, but more chaotic of the solar system and the whole, the whole thing. Um, I see. So you don't get it. That's fine. They don't need to. And now with tilt world you you are right. I will say that pretty quickly. Uh, but I also am very aware that I'm making something like flowerless chocolate cake. And not everybody likes it. And okay. that's and that's fine. Um, it's not for everybody. So it was written with a very, very specific target audience in mind. And everybody else who enjoys it or gets something out of it is a bonus. So I was writing to, you know, my peers, my philosophy club peers, the people I saw getting their faith rattled 
in grad school and as undergrads who were intelligent, whose pastors in the evangelical church had refused to answer any questions. I was writing to a, a particular breed of distressed evangelical male, mm. you know, and now not to say I wasn't writing for women. I was, but I wasn't. <laughs> okay. Like, okay. I had a target in mind. And so, and in teaching rhetoric and even on this podcast, we've talked about who are you, who is your audience, where are they and where ought they to be? So that you have that triangle of like, okay, you're the creator, here's your target audience, and you're trying to hit them in such a way that you move them, you move them mm -hmm. where, and you have a goal, which means you can falsify your success and failure. I'm trying to reach these people, I'm trying to affect them in a way that will help move them to this place, which is healthier than where they are now. Uh, then you measure success based off of that. When people who are not in that target audience say, oh, I can't read your stuff, you know, mm -hmm. I'm like, oh. Like that's okay. Gotcha. You know, I don't, so, I don't, I don't mind. It's not, I'm not trying to insult them. It's just, I was trying, I was trying to hit somebody very specifically. And so that governed all my creative decision-making and everything else. There was not a lowest common gotcha. denominator. So you're not saying like, I'm just doing my thing over here. I don't care about the reader. It's much more of, I have a particular reader. And if you can't, if you are not that particular reader. Yeah. So you know. let's describe it in a way that's a little even, it's less complimentary. Let's say I was making gluten-free muffins for <laughs> gluten intolerant people. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm, right. it's very specific. And somebody's like, oh man, I hate almond flour. I'm like, yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's like, okay, <clears throat> you know, yeah, there, there could be a better muffin for you just down further in the counter. It's not, it was a particular goal and particular task. So it's not, I'm not trying to say that all art should be for everybody. Gotcha. But there is a general, even in tilt world, even when I'm at my most stylized, which is probably tilt world, when I'm at my most concentrated, you know, stylized voice, that was entirely targeted at very concrete people. Yeah. And if I failed to impact them, or if those people hadn't gotten it and didn't get it and weren't, you know, popped by it, then I would have called it a failure. But everybody, every, you know, 50 year old housewife who's read it and liked it is that's a great big bonus. That's just a blessing. I'm like, Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad this benefited you. That's I'm, I'm really grateful to hear that, but that was never, that was never the target. And then when somebody from the greatest generation tells me, I don't know what you're doing. This doesn't make any sense to me. Oh yeah. I'm like, I, okay. You know, like, well, right. I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect it to cause you think peanuts is funny. You know, it's like, it's, <laughs> You know, Charles Schultz catching you know, strays in the yeah. stories or soul food podcast. <laughs> but the, but the point there is like, it, there's different humor, different styles, different, you yeah. know, uh, different techniques for different eras and, and so on. So I would not be at all surprised if tilt world ended up, you know, very dated and, and I'd, I'd never expected it to be this long lasting mm -hmm. thing, you know, 50 years, 60 years out. Um, but I do think there's an overarching approach operating system for creatives that carries into the consumer and that probably matters more for this podcast of what is the consumer being told are is the consumer being uh advocated for the genius of the artist are they receiving this advocacy through this art of like i'm sitting here and i'm supposed to be thinking this artist is a genius that's the effect i'm supposed to be in awe mm -hmm. i'm supposed to be uh you know, on my knees to whom, you know, to some creative mind, or am I being back to this podcast served a meal? Yeah. Like that is about my nutritional needs and it's going to really make me satisfied. I'm going to really enjoy eating this. This is going to be good fun. It's going to be enjoyable. Yeah. Um, are we as artists just having contests to see how much peat smoke we can put into the whiskey and who can get the highest smokiest level ever um how hoppy can you make your beer you know whatever it is uh that's that's kind of um that's the pretentious self-absorbed mm -hmm. you know internal artist conflict that can yeah. happen so i think that de the the pitfall if you're spielberg and you're and you're trying to always reach the audience if you're focused on the audience is that there's six pandering. jurassic park movies yeah yeah and you can end exactly and yeah. and indiana jones uh, you know, right. Outsta outstated. It's welcome. And, yeah. and it can be pandering. 
it can really turn into pandering when you're just focused on the audience. On the flip side, it can turn into all sorts of hubris and posing. And, you know, it's, it's everything's a self-portrait. Every film is a self-portrait. Every novel, every memoir is entirely about my own tortured intricacies. And so, so let's talk, I've heard you talk uh, delightfully about the end of Inception before mm -hmm. uh, with the spinning. Wobble, wobble. Yeah, the wobble, wobble. Is it going to fall? It's uh, whatever you want it to be. Right. And In a world that may or may not be real. <laughs> and uh, action happens that may or may not be real. It all might, yeah, it all One might man. just be fake. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Jumps so, a van off a bridge. It's pretty cool, though. That's awesome. Because it goes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's super awesome. And there's movies that don't make sense that I really like, like uh, Arrival. Okay. So it's. Sure. That's when we're like, I don't think this works linguistically or temporally speaking. And yet. I'm it's delightful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Belief has been suspended and this is a fun film. Yeah. So you would, would you put the spinning top at the end of Inception? I, f I think I've heard you say that you wanted him to make a call. Yeah. Like either no wobble or it falls. Right? I don't mind. I don't mind if the character is stuck. Mm -hmm. not knowing if the character is wondering but at that point the viewer should have a strong case and a strong for one or the other so you yeah. don't need to make it overt necessarily but you think it's just in a sense it's almost breaking the fourth wall because it's a piece of art that we're watching yeah I, th I think he's basically saying i think what nolan is saying there is it doesn't matter gotcha so you are objecting to his philosophical claim that it doesn't matter whether yeah i'm objecting to the postmodernism. Yeah. I think it's, I think he's saying this, it's all real. It's all, all of it is, yeah. it's all fake and it's all real and it's, it's all both. Uh, and I think that position is untenable and I don't like it. Hence so. you wrote notes from the Delta world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And death by living. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's, I, I want to also say that Nolan is famous uh, for like before a premiere uh, at least in terms of which which film it was, I don't know if it was Inception or if it was um, Dark Knight. But for one of them, at least, he checked the sound mix in the theater, and for this premiere, that he sat in every single seat in the entire theater to check the mix. Because wow. and that's like shows an uh, absolute intensity when it comes to the the viewer's experience mm -hmm. so so that but, you're have, saying, but having done that if a viewer is in that seat and was like i can't tell what they're saying is he's gonna be like screw you right you know it's and yeah. i get i can relate to that i think every artist can relate to that mm -hmm. but i know it's the kiss of death for me when i when i'm when i'm dealing with a young writer an aspiring writer and i've and some of these writers i've dealt with have, are now being published and have, have gotten you know, up to a certain level that they're past this or past it for the time being. When you say this isn't working or I don't like this character, like yeah. meaning like on a likability level, I don't actually like this character. Yeah. Um, when you say that, how quickly does the writer blame you? And you don't understand what I'm trying to, here's what I'm trying to accomplish. You don't get it. Here's the thing. This is what, this is my goals. Um, when people do that, all they're doing is explaining to me the, the cause of their failure or their good intentions that don't matter. Yeah. So if somebody uh, throws a rock through your window, if they come in and say, I, don't, I didn't mean to, okay, I'm really glad that you didn't mean to. That's great to know there was no malice, but there's still some degree of incompetence at least, and you still broke my window. So- yeah. Like you're saying it's not malicious. You're I'm not I'm not evil. I'm just bad. I'm not good at it. I don't I lack skill or mm -hmm. or whatever. So over and over and over again and this is to any young writers, any aspiring writers of any kind and any creators, you have uh any criticism. It can absolutely be coming from a place where somebody missed something they shouldn't have missed. And it's still informative. It's still helpful to you. Like, oh, they're missing that. Like that, that flavor is disappearing. Um, and so I, I encourage writers not to 
ask readers of any of any level for diagnostic or pr- for prescriptive help. How do I fix it? Help. Yep. Like just ask for reactions and were they the reactions that you wanted? Yep. If they were not the reactions that you wanted, then you need to look at your work and see how can I get my work to create the reactions that I wanted. Don't need to ask the reader how do I fix it? They're they're a reader. They're not a they're not a writer. But if your sister was bored, don't be personally offended. Don't think that's an insult to you. She's going to really not want to say that. Uh, you ask questions, see if she's interested, see if she's engaged, see if stuff is, see if they just missed it. Uh, and then have that card as you go back to the work. Is the work itself creating the reactions that I wanted? Mm-hmm. And if it's not, then it's on you to go fix it you know, to go, to go work on it some more. Yeah, I gotcha. I was, I was just thinking, it seems like actually, I was going to say at first, if you're only coming away from a movie with two emotions, yeah, right, it seems like books are far two superior. Two big sensations, yeah. <laughs> and then I was, I was, if books, it felt like you could get more out of a book than two, but then I was thinking back on it, I was like, maybe not. Yeah, I Maybe think not. we're just so simple. <laughs> I think one big mushy one. Yeah. I think one big overarching, like, stew of sensation is what you have for a book afterwards you you are feeling great or you're feeling blech or you're feeling yeah motivated you're, you have all that yeah. it has this effect on you and if you if you try to take something really big and you say what's the takeaway when i and it's it's not just did i feel different things when i was reading different pages because of course you did now looking back from where you sit, what's the flavor? What's the sensation in yeah. you now about that book? What's my sensation about East of Eden or uh, the Fountainhead? You know, it's like what, yeah. I have a sensation. I have a reaction to that. And it's distilled down to one singular thing, uh, even though there's a lot more going on. And then you can go back in and you can track a particular flavor through yeah. you know the ginger through the entire soup you're <laughs> like can we Why? get rid of the <laughs> ginger know, I've, got, I've got too much got an entire mouthful of it but it reminds me too we're in the middle of reading aloud harry potter 4 right try try wizard tournament and all that goblet of fire right and it, it i think it is the one where people say oh looks like her editor lost control of her yep it definitely ballooned yep and then uh, you know this is seems to be in there that she's now all of a sudden writing her characters into tons of different situations. And some of them I have very fond memories of. Yeah. You know, the mer people under the lake. I remember liking that, but reading out loud, it's kind of been, it's been tough. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's just one of those things where you think, ah, oh, this was way better at speed. Yeah. And, uh, I'm reading it out loud, which yeah. means I'm going at talking pace right. instead of like zip, 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 zip. Yeah. Yep. So I think I've, I've said before that I read the Harry Potter books out loud to my wife while she was pregnant. Mm. Uh, at least the first four and i think in four maybe through five but i would just go so fast as soon as she fell asleep so (laughs) (laughs) so, you were cheating so yeah so i'd be reading and i'd like she would doze off and i would know i'd be reading aloud i would know she's gonna wake back up and she's gonna keep going because she's a total story pig yeah she's (laughs) <laughs> married to the right person and you know so you're just like yeah and it's like okay uh and she's out go read 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 read, read. like boom, boom 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 i cannot do this out loud i can't it's so <laughs> slow and there's too much so much cool whip in this thing there's yeah. just so much fluff yeah like just go 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 and the emotional beats are so very much she, she loves me she loves me not yeah that becomes very frustrating at a it's slow a jello pace. salad that somebody put grated carrots into and yeah. you're just kind of like really? i'm saying this is someone who's having fun another grated carrot you know. i know yeah i know we love but, it but <laughs> well so then my wife would wake up and i'd be 150 pages later i would i would have and it wouldn't have taken me very long. And she'd be like, oh, I fell asleep. What happened? And it was it took it would take me like two or three sentences to catch her up. <laughs> and then she'd be like, so, oh. So Ron and Harry are friends now, but Ron and Hermione are not. Yeah, that covers about exactly. Exactly. 100 exactly. And then she would be okay. And I'd start reading and she'd make it another five pages and fall asleep. And yeah. then I'd be like, go, 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 go. <laughs> and then she'd wake up and she'd be like, what happened? I'd be like, you loved it. <laughs> pogo sticking through rolling <laughs> yeah yeah it's but it is think think about how different artists want consumers to behave yeah 
When, and this is, this is something we've talked about before, when art presents itself a certain way and presents itself as a Dorito or presents itself as really, really, you know, fine and must be honored and respected and you need, yeah. you need to be grateful and turn off your cell phone, please. Like no being a normal little human about this. That kind of statement can be really hubristic. It can be really, really dominant, demeaning and arrogant as you put the book, as you put the film in front of an audience, they come to it and the art is a bully. Like it's so into itself and the way it moves, the way it turns, the way the prose just gets really heavily laden and is all about itself. It's very easy for it to become narcissistic. The art is narcissistic and the audience is told to feel inferior and feel inadequate and feel like you're a lesser human. Mm. And one of these, one of the artists, capital A, has created this great work that, that you really need to submit to in some way and, and be molded by so yeah. that your taste profile is even changed by it. Now, the best art elevates and does mold and does catechize and does shape the viewer or the reader. That's why we have this podcast. Stories are soul food. It really is a thing. It does shape and change people. So are you being shaped and changed? Uh, into something good is it changing you to the good and that's to the the tier of response criticism that we've talked about yeah is it leaving you better than it found you are you now smarter motivated inspired yeah filled edified just seem more thankful for yeah was it fun just boil yeah. it down to was it fun i mean i think that's why wes anderson gets a pass on so much yeah. stuff a lot of it's fun <laughs> life aquatic is enjoyable for the first two thirds it's <laughs> pretty it's pretty fun but there's there's a it's a weird kind of a thing that that people can be sucked into and bullied by and then you get that kind of college kid who only really loves highly sophisticated complicated stuff and it feels very superior yeah you know to the people around him and might be yeah. You know, it's like could be because maybe he's too snobby for Marvel or or whatever. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic. So yeah, when I mean, you're the kind of kid who only reads graphic novels is one kind of problem. The kind of kid who wants to start reading Russians too young because he's fancy and he's got a big fat book and he's smarter than other people, that's a different kind of problem. Yeah. We have fewer of those now. Yeah. Right now. We mostly have the graphic novel problem. But yeah, we've been, it, both are ditches. We've been talking about directors and, and writers, obviously, but if we're talking about art that thinks it is the holy grail, it's definitely the fine art world. Yep. And the way that they definitely do view themselves. And literary fiction. So yeah, literary that's fiction. True. Uh, both and, of those types. Yeah. The award winners, they've got the money behind it. Oscar the, season. Yep. Oscar season. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh those ones, man, they want you just to grovel yep. if if you appreciate the this painting on the wall here that looks unintelligible to your dad. If you get the clue, you can understand it and then tell your dad why you're so much better than he is. Okay, boomer. <laughs> <laughs> you yep. don't get it. Yep. But yeah, it's- uh, Here's to dads though for always having, they're, they're right about it. <laughs> yeah, listen, listen to your dad, especially if he's a farmer. Yeah. If he's a farmer or a carpenter and you show him some fine art and he's just like, it's dumb. It's dumb. Yep. Then he's right. It's dumb. That's the check. <laughs> okay. This has been stories of soul food. I know what we talked about. Uh, yeah. I mean, this, we, this we talked about one. directors, I guess, creators, yeah. different, different operating systems should have been more intentional. If there are questions. Well, it was, we uh, we actually were intentionally going to go into apostasy, which followed nicely from your notes from the tilt to world conversation. But okay. now we have to another time. Apostasy. What did you want to talk about related to apostasy? Well, I I was I was curious You're about considering it? that character. No, oh, the apostate. Not con not considering apostasy, but okay. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> Keep it off the list. I think we covered it. We've got well, well the the apostate character. Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good one. I mean, yeah, you, that'll be that'll you're be doing. Uh, you are are deeply fond of screw tape. Yeah, and then I think notes from the tilt shows. There's the certain the Derek Webbs. The Joshua Harris's of the world all have a certain vibe that is very appealing to some people, usually on NPR. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we next time. Next time. Also, we will have our LAMP uh, podcast as soon as we can. Mm -hmm. uh, so get your questions in about 
They've got a lot. Freedom. I think okay, we've, good. Got a, we've got a, a bunch. Good. Last call. Up. We'll use the good ones. Nice. Peace out. If you're a SaaS listener who often makes it to the end of these videos and the end of our podcast, when I start talking, you'll know that I'm often bringing up Canon Plus. So I'm gonna let you in a couple seconds, watch a video that explains why Canon Plus is the premier Christian streaming service for entertainment, education, and theology. Give it a watch and then please come join us on Canon Plus if you haven't already. Does your streaming content make you a better wife and mother? A better husband and father? Or when you sit down and pick up the remote, does the content you consume attack you? You fat bastard. Is it at war with everything you say you stand for? Does it make you stronger? Does it make your family stronger? How much darkness streams directly into your home every week? How much do you pay for the privilege of consuming whatever new dark thing Hollywood algorithms have assigned to you and to your family? Just my two dads and me. It doesn't have to be that way. Canon Plus is building a global platform with one simple goal, to create and deliver great content that will help Christian families grow stronger. Content to encourage, equip, challenge, and inspire. Yes, these times are bleak, but the darkness cannot win for long. Light is far more powerful. With thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, truth-telling documentaries, and curriculum for all ages, Canon Plus wants to help your family laugh, sing, learn, and grow stronger together. And we're just getting started. We want the resources we produce to help you become a lighthouse in your own community, armed with courageous joy and faith that burns bright, right alongside millions of others who are just as determined to live in a way that honors God in these dark times. Your own food shouldn't attack you. Not at the table, and not gathered with your family on the couch. We are building a true alternative, and we can't do it alone. We need committed Christian families to build with us. So consider this your invitation. Pop some corn, grab the blankets, and help us build a streaming platform unlike any other. A platform that will strengthen Christians' mind, body, and soul. We saved you a spot on the couch. Canon Plus. Cancel the darkness. Invite light.